You are about to listen to another episode of That Sports Guys podcast, hosted by Craig Forstall. Find Craig on Twitter at that underscore sports underscore guy. The That Sports Guys podcast is proudly featured by NFL Draft Diamonds, your draft coverage king. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some football talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Sports Guys podcast. I am Craig Forstall. You may know me from Twitter as at that underscore sports underscore guy. And today I have with me Dayton Safety, Brandon Easterling. Brandon, what's going on? Hey, Craig, how you doing? I, I appreciate you having me on. Just got done with a, a workout, so now's a good time to chill out and, and chat a bit. So thank you for having hey, me Hey, no problem. I'm glad that I got you while you're in the uh, frame of mind to talk a little ball fresh off of a workout. So before we get into that part, I just want to know what your hometown is like, Fairborn, Ohio. What was it like growing up there? Yeah, so um, Fairborn, it's a, it's a a fairly small town. Um, the sports programs at Fairborn are – um, within my four years, we started as Division One, and we were always on the brink of Division One. So we dropped down to Division Two. That kind of gives you an idea of um, the size of the school system in Ohio. Um, but it, it's a it's a uh, very it's a very diverse city. Um, I think I, I was actually telling one of my buddies um, today that I remember back in middle school, I had a middle school, I had a substitute teacher who had told me that she has been all over the country in different schools. And she said that Fairborn uh, city schools from her experiences are one of the most diverse. Um, it's the one of the most diverse student bodies she's ever been around. Um, and you know, the, there's very wealthy people. There's very poor people. There's every, every race you can think of. Um, but you know, it's, it's full of, it's full of people who are supportive. I, I can say one thing about me and it, it's an ongoing joke on my team um people you know always joke about there's being a statue in Fairborn and all of this and the reason being ultimately is because the the city is so supportive uh for me and not only me but anybody who you know is really trying to make a name for themselves so I think it's just you know full of loving people um people that are that are wanting the city to do nothing but go up um and like I said they just you know su- support me as much as they can. So it was a great experience. You know, some of my best friends are that are going to be in my wedding one day. I obviously grew up with the Fairborn, so I got a lot of good memories back there. And let's stick right there with Fairborn because in high school, you were a three-sport athlete, football, basketball, and track, and you were pretty good at basketball. Did you ever feel pressure to just focus on football? Uh, fortunately, fortunately enough, I actually didn't. Um, I think one thing that my coaches, in particular, I had two coaches. His name was Nathan Shimmington. He was my basketball coach. And then I had a football coach and a track. He was also my track coach. His name was Roy Toby. Um, they did. They, they actually preferred that athletes play um, multi-sports. Um, and I know I, I've heard rumors about, you know, some coaches at different programs really trying to get their guys to be one-sport athletes. But I think – them doing such a great job for one at working with each other on allowing, you know, kids like me to do football, basketball and track, you know, year round and, and not really have a conflicting schedule um, was really beneficial for me. Um, And I think ultimately, you know, playing three sports, it, 
it, although, you know, football was, I knew football is where I wanted to play in college. I had, first off, I had great experiences from basketball and track. You know, some of my best memories are from those sports. Um, but even playing basketball and track, in my, in my opinion, you develop skills that you might not even in particularly get if you just play football that can help you on the football field. Um, and so, no, I actually didn't get much pressure just doing one sport. Like I said, my coaches were huge on staying active, you know, doing multiple different things throughout the year, um, not just football or basketball or whatever. So, yeah, so no, not at all. I, I had a great experience with my coaches. And now if we fast forward to last season, you exploded onto the scene. You had 140 tackles, six interceptions, named an All-American, finalist for the Buck Buchanan Defensive Player of the Year Award, all Pioneer League honors as well. Just how special was last season for you? It was awesome. Um, you know, I think I think for me, um, it was a bit of a confidence booster. I know freshman year and sophomore year, um, I was getting playing time and I, I was getting some, some rotation time, but I had never uh, officially earned a starting spot. I had some pretty good upperclassmen in front of me. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it was just – it was almost kind of, in a sense, the fruits of my labor. And I, I by any means, I, I, I do not mean that I'm going to sit back and relax now and I'm done because, you know, I, I want to keep my nose down and keep working. But, um, you know, it was it was just kind of, in a sense, showing me that all my hard work has, has paid off. And, you know, ultimately you want to play at the highest, highest level possible no matter where you're at. And, you know, I think at times I was able to do that really well. Um, but I also do understand that I got work to do. Um, you know, even my defensive coordinator, one of the things he told me at the end of the season last year, and it's it's one of my the favorite things he's ever told me, is right after the season he sat down with me. And, you know, he had meetings with every guy, and, and he was kind of just talking to me, and he told me, he said, this is going to sound harsh, and you might think I'm a jerk for a second. But he said, I want you to really just look at look at your outlook on this season in terms of you have done nothing yet. Although, you know, you have these accolades, the statistics and all of that, you have done nothing yet. And if you keep that mindset, you know, it's going to take you even farther. And I know going into this this coming year, you know, I want to improve myself individually. But the biggest thing is, you know, I want to get the guys together and just let's improve this team. And, you know, hopefully when and if we do play, we can, uh, you know, get get some uh, some rings on our finger and some some bling and win a championship. So, you know, that's that's the mission and the goal now. And Brandon, there was another headline moment for you last season, and it came against Drake. You had a 100-yard touchdown interception return. Um, You had some good blocking to spring you along the way on the return, but I have to know, at what point did you just start thinking, legs don't fail me now, and it became huffing and puffing (laughs) all the way to the end zone? Yeah, I I actually watched the video, and I, I think it's – if you were watching the video, I think it's pretty clear kind of where I, I almost hit a wall. I think it was about um, – it was against Drake, and I think it was about Drake's 20-yard line, maybe 30, 30-yard 30 line is where I really started to, you know, almost get gassed out. And I had remember what had happened was um, we come down on kickoff. First off, our offense is – last year was electric, so I think – I was on every special team, so I think every game I was at least on eight kickoffs. And, you know, kickoff is one quick play, but if you think about it, that's about, you know, that's about 60 yards of a straight sprint. And when you do that eight times, you know, that adds up. And I remember we had we had just come off the field. We got thrown back right back on. We had to kick off, 
And then Drake started to march down and they were more up-tempo because uh, we were running close to the end of the half. Um, and so I was, I mean, I was pretty gassed as it was. And, but yeah, I mean, like you said, I remember when I caught the ball, I know any DB's mindset when they catch it or get an interception is I want to score because we get so frequent, you know, or unfrequent uh, times of, of touching the ball, obviously, because we're a DB. So that's our number one goal. But like you said, you know, the blocking was was unreal. Um but yeah, I think I think it was about the thirty to the twenties, kind of where I, I hit my wall and I was just giving it everything I had to just get in the end zone. And the Pioneer Football League is a non-scholarship program; it's a bunch of non-scholarship teams. But you beat a scholarship program from the Missouri Valley Conference, which is regarded as the best in FCS football, when you beat Indiana State last season. Can you talk about being a non-scholarship program and what it means to compete at such a high level? Absolutely. Um, I think I think what a, a lot of people, um, you know, could take note about myself, my teammates, and anybody in our conference, um, especially at the Division One level, that's non-scholarship. Is is when you so for example, when you're a scholarship player, you Obviously, you know, you're playing football because you have the love of the game. You know, you, you want to be on the field. You want to compete. Um, but even if your love starts to fade, you also have, you know, a full ride sitting there in front of you that is an incentive keeping you, you know, within the program and all of that. And and one thing and it's pretty is, – is one thing about, like, guys like us is we play football strictly for the love of the game. Like, we don't have a scholarship, like you just said, you know, attaching us to the program or, you know, trying to keep us on board. We play because we want to play. We're with our best friends. We want to compete. We want to win championships. Um, so that alone, I think that speaks numbers about the guys that, that you know, step on the field every day with me. Um, and I think that rolls over into, like you just said, how we beat scholarship programs. And in terms of when we play, we play with passion and we just want it so bad. And I know anytime we get to play against an opponent like Indiana State last year, they were ranked 14th in the country at the time. We were licking our chops. I mean, this was, in our eyes, this was our time to, you know, prove everybody that we're no slouch, we're no joke. You know, we're Division One caliber football. Um, and I think if you go back and watch any film, uh, the reason why we traditionally beat these scholarship programs almost every single year um, is because we do the little things right. Uh, we, you know, we understand sometimes we might be a little outmatched in terms of size or speed, but at the end of the day, if you're a technician and you know what you're doing, you know, 30, 30 pounds, isn't going to matter. You know, another two tenths on a 40, isn't going to matter because you, you're going to, you're going to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and I think, you know, prime example, like I, I was kind of saying was against Indiana state, we were just technicians. Um, we, we made less mistakes than they did. We executed better than they did. Um, we were kind of able to pull it out. So. Yeah, I think being a non-scholarship player, there's there's a lot more weight to it in terms of, you know, we are out there strictly because we just love the game of football. And so it definitely means a lot. And let's stick there because you were talking about the high caliber athletes on the team and your teammate from last season, Adam Troutman, was selected by the New Orleans Saints in the third round of the draft. Could you just take me through what those one-on-one -on -one battles were like in practice? Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, that's one thing I'll never forget um, from my career is the one-on-one -on -one battles I had with Trout because you know there's it's not every day that you get to play with a guy who's drafted in the third round. Um, and I remember any chance and every chance I got to get a rep with him, whether it was in a seven-on-seven, -seven, 
a one-on-one, any, anything we were doing, you know, I was trying to do it sprints, anything. Um, but I think the best gauge of, of one-on-ones and, and our, our track record was, it was going into last spring ball. Um, me and him had, we had tried to, well, at least I, I tried to, like I said, get as many one-on-ones with, like, with him as I could. Um, and we were kind of tracking who won and who lost. And at the end of spring ball, we actually finished tied three to three. And I remember that summer. So this past summer, we were joking about it, how we need to, you know, get a winner and finish it out. But unfortunately, during the season, we don't, you know, get a lot of live action against each other. We're trying to keep guys healthy and, and all that. So I don't think we ever really got to kind of hash it out. But yeah, it, it was it was a battle every time. And I knew that I had to come with it or I was I was going to get whooped up on pretty good. So <laughs> it, it was it was intense, but it was awesome. And I want to ask you about the decision that was made uh, to not have fall football in the Pioneer League uh, upcoming this season. And just what was your reaction and the general reaction from the rest of your teammates at Dayton? Yeah, so it was without a doubt um, heartbreaking, to say the least. Um, I think one thing about our program that might have been a a bit different at other programs within our league or even, you know, within other conferences is our head coach and our AD um, athletic director had been very transparent with us um, and they had been realistic with us. And and in a time like this, you know, that's all you can really ask for as a player. Um, And they had told us, I think they called the shot about a week ago saying there was no season. And they had told us, honestly, probably about three weeks to four weeks prior to that, that, I mean, having a season, they're not counting it out. They're going to fight for it. But having a season – I mean, it's going to be tough, and there's a lot of variables that are up in the air. And, you know, they weren't saying don't count anything out, but they were just saying that there's a there's a, a huge possibility of not playing this fall. Um, and so, you know, they, they that, that helped us prepare a little bit mentally, I think, um, kind of hearing the news. But even then, you know, there's there's really no preparation you can get for hearing some news like that. And I really feel, feel for my seniors, you know, our, our class, we stuck strong together, bought into the program, and, some of the guys kind of, you know, like we were just talking about how we're non-scholarship. Some of the guys are putting some some good financial binds as to what they're going to do next year and how they're going to figure out how to play. And so I feel for them, um, you know, hopefully they can we can all get it together and, and kind of come back or something. But, yeah, it was heartbreaking. I know the whole team, you know, you, you work so hard in the winter, the spring, the summer, just to kind of hear that news. It's never fun. But, you know, we'll get through it and we'll move on. There's always the next season. So, that's what we got to prepare for now. And now I guess just to build off of that, what does that plan look like, I guess, in a more concrete way? Or has that not been determined yet within the program as far as, you know, lifting sessions or organized team activities? Yeah, so from my understanding, um, things are still up in the air a bit. Um, I know some programs are already practicing. They're already getting their cleats in the turf and stuff like that. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to do that yet. Um, we have ever like we're actually tonight we have a Zoom meeting as well. Um, we have frequent Zoom meetings, you know, installing the playbook, keeping up as a team. As far as working out and weight room stuff, like I said, it's still up in the air. But I think we're kind of shooting for something along the lines of three to four days a week of practicing. And I believe it should start the 20th if it doesn't get pushed back. Um, and then I think we're going to try and get in the weight room two, two, three times a week also as a team. 
But like I said, you know, there's so many things that they're still trying to hash out. It's kind of hard to give you a definite answer, but that's that's pretty much what I was just a rough estimate of kind of what I was I was told was going to happen. Hey, trust me, I get it. This is an ever changing set of uh, circumstances, not only in football, but in life. So no reason to not have the, the clear answer. But I want to ask you about getting into coaching, Brandon, because I saw somewhere that when you're done playing, uh, that's actually what you want to do. You want to get into coaching. So now, do you think you'll be that laid back type of coach or are you going to be that intense guy out there going through drills? I think, I think, you know, hopefully, I think this is what I want to shoot for is to be a good mixture of both. Um, I want to be intense. I want to be ready to go. I want to be bought in with my players. You know, how when I'm a coach, I'd, I'd even be willing to do the drills with them. Um, just kind of knowing me and knowing how I'm always wanting to be out there and be active and just play the game. I, I think when it comes down to the practices and all that, I'm going to be very, you know, very intense and very in it um, and for my guys. Um, but I think there's there's times also when it's, it's good for a coach to be laid back in, in a sense. I'm not necessarily saying – you know, nonchalant and doesn't care or anything. But I think a, a big part of college football and the successful coaches out there is they build great relationships with their guys. Um, and I know my, my position coach this year, he was actually new this past season. One thing that I think he's done a great job at um, is just build relationships. And, and in a sense, it was almost because he was not laid back, but we would, we would have meetings away from football if that makes sense so like the other day for example we had a zoom meeting and we didn't talk about football for even a second we to we and i don't think he'd mind i don't think anybody would mind if i shared this but it was just the dbs and he had told us all that he wanted us to um, share with each other our the biggest adversity um or time of adversity in our life and i remember after the meeting our assistant corners coach he had even kind of made the comment to all of us. He said, listen, guys, we haven't even talked football for this past hour. And I can promise you this was the most this was, in my opinion, the most beneficial meeting we've had yet um, because we just got close. We all built a relationship. We all you know, kind of shared our struggles, came together as a group. Um, but, yeah, so I, when I'm a coach, I think hopefully I can have a good balance of both. But I think without a doubt, I'll be an intense guy and I'll be ready to go at all times because. I mean, at the end of the day, football is about competition. So you get you got to be ready to go at the snap of a finger. And now I want to get into some, I guess, position-specific questions or, I guess, tendencies or favorites that you have. So the first thing that I'm going to lay out there for you is, are you someone that is a high-hat, low-hat guy or someone that reads the quarterback? Um, so honestly, that is – that depends on the scenario and the situation. Um, I can tell you right now, for example, if we're sitting in the red zone um, and I'm sitting back at one high, um, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a quick run pass read, um, but my eyes are gonna be to the quarterback because, and I think this is one thing that I I learned quick um, when I first stepped on campus that helped me at free safety in the red zone is quarterbacks don't have time to throw you off or look away. They, they, the, the plays are got, they got, if it's a pass play, it's got to be bang, bang. Um, Cause obviously the receiver is going to run out of room to run. So his first look is where I'm going. So I'll, I'll, I like to scan the quarterback then, but for the most part, whenever I'm one high or anytime we need to get a read um, from the backfield of the line, uh, you, you got to get your run pass read first. You got to figure out the basics 
um, of what's going to happen. So high hat, low high, or high hat, low hat for sure. Um, but then, you know, like I said, there's other times when, and, and it also depends on the quarterback we're playing. There's some quarterbacks that do a great job at, at looking you off at kind of giving you some, some window dressing. And then there's some quarterbacks that are very transparent and they like to just put it on the spot and they'll let you know where they're going. So it all just really depends. But I, I think without a doubt, you know, first things first, you got to be high hat, low hat and figure out what's going on. And now, do you have a favorite situation to be in, whether it's third and long, short yardage, a red zone scenario, or maybe even when they give you the green light to blitz? Oh, man. So, I mean, for sure, without a doubt, blitzing is, is one of my favorite things to do. Um, for one, because you can be deceptive and you can be tricky and – you know, you can drop down and make it look like you're in some type of man and some type of three, and then all of a sudden you're coming off the edge and they never pick you up, and you get a free shot on a guy. Um, but I think, in my opinion, my one of my favorite scenarios also is is red zone coverages. Um, the reason being is because, you know, typically in the red zone, you don't play a lot of man or, or you don't play a lot of zone. You're going to be a more man-based defense, and that's pretty universal regardless of what your defense does. Um and I think if you keep man simple, it can't be beat. At the end of the day, you have this guy and this guy can't beat you. And, you know, I think one thing that's important for, you know, any football player to try and do is to try and keep things simple. Because when you're thinking too much or trying to, you know, develop, go through too much in your head, you're not going to be able to react and make plays as fast as you should be. And so I think red zone, it, it limits what the offense can do. It cuts down their playbook to about a fourth of their playbook. And like I said, the, the, the schemes that we run and the defenses we run, they're, they're more simple. And it's kind of just go fast, go hard, don't get beat by your guy, and, and, and just play football. So I, I think blitzing for sure. And then, you know, red zone's always fun too. And then the final safety-based ba- safety question before we get into the off-field stuff, Brandon – and that is, do you have a deep safety preference, whether that's on the hash or the middle of the field? Um, I would, ha- I would, I would probably have to say, um, in the middle of the field. Um, and the reason being is because when you're on the hash, um, so for one, as as a deep safety, what we're always told is, you know, your your biggest responsibility is for one, nobody gets behind you, and you got to have depth. And I know a lot of times when we're one high, the quarter corners, and we'll either be in a man and they'll be pressed up or they'll be pretty tight or we'll be in some type of cover three. Um, but the corners a lot of times are relying on us for, for a safety blanket so they can play a little more aggressive. Um, and so I think being in the middle of the field, it allows me to help out both corners better. When you're on the hash, it kind of – it's it's not as symmetrical. Um, you got to kind of really break down where the receivers are at and find those threats. Um, and it kind of it, it can kind of almost put you out of position in a sense, and uncover a corner here and there. So I think definitely in the middle of the field, and and it just allows you to be all over the place. You're not more one sided, so you can make a play anywhere at any time. And now we're going to go ahead. We're going to move into those non football questions. And the first one I have here for you, Brandon, is: Was there a hairstyle or fashion trend that you rocked, and now you think back like? Man, what was I doing? <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I remember um, I would have to say it was about sixth, fifth and sixth-ish, seventh grade maybe. Um, I was, you know, four-sport, three-sport athlete my whole life. 
but there was a summer or a few summers where I was very active with uh, travel baseball and select baseball. And I'm, I'm sure any baseball player who, you know, grew up when he was a young kid playing, he's, he would know this initially if I said it, but the necklaces, the fightings, <laughs> they were these, these necklaces that were supposed to help you with balance, they were health, all this good stuff. Um, I think I used to wear probably about five of these things <laughs> at a time. And, and I wish I could show a picture because the necklaces are fit. They're not like a, a chain. They're like this rope that's intertwined. And so I had just this big bundle on my neck. And I remember looking at pictures like, I, I don't know what I was thinking. So that's, that's for sure got to be the thing. I would at least tell myself to cut down just one of them. You can wear them, but you can't wear all five. <laughs> and now, Brandon, what's going to be your spirit animal and why? Yeah, so this is something that um, I've always thought, and I, I feel like every time I tell somebody, they kind of laugh at it because um, it's not a very atypical animal, but it's got to be a honey badger, you know, just like Tyree Matthew. Um, and the reason being is because it's an undersized animal, and that's something I've always been told my whole life is, you know, you might be a little too short, this, that. Um, and, you know, growing up a little bit, I guess I don't hear that a ton anymore, but regardless that the thing is fearless i mean you, you can look up videos of this thing fighting lions um whatever it doesn't back down from the fight um and and i think that's you know to a t who i am especially on the football field is i you know i'm regardless of who it is i'm never going to shy away from contact never going to back down from you know competition um if anything i love competition i love more contact i love the physicality so i think for sure it's got to be a honey badger and now, how much would someone have to pay you to eat the food that you like the least? Oh, man. Well, here's the thing. The, I, I, right off the bat, I know the food I like the least is sushi. And real, I, what I mean by sushi is real sushi, like raw fish. Mm-hmm. Man, and somebody would have to pay me some pretty big bucks. I mean, at least a few thousand dollars because at least, no, at least a few hundred dollars to eat a full roll of sushi because I just... I've never been big on the concept of just eating raw fish. It doesn't make sense to me. And and how I always compare it to people is it's no different, in my opinion, than you going, you know, out to a lake and catching a fish. And right when you catch it, you just take a bite out of it. Like it's, I just, I'm not big on sushi. So it would would have to be a good amount of money, I think, because it just, it grosses me out. And I've tried to get it down before and I just can't. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so no sushi for you. Got it. So, no. Brandon, <laughs> do you have any superstitions, whether it be football or non-football related? Yes, I do. Um, I'm actually a, a very superstitious person. And honestly, sometimes it drives me crazy, um, especially game day. And it, it, I've tried to, to work away from it because it, it would – so I would always – have a schedule and a routine and I would have my OCD and all of that would be through the roof because I, I wanted everything to be perfect. And I, I, you know, I was superstitious. You don't want anything different than what it was prior to. So I would always kind of stress my out about stress myself out about, you know, what I did pregame or what I ate or what I listened to or how my locker was looking. Um, but you know, one thing is my grandmother, she was um, Italian and she was also Irish and, my mom, she, she passed away when I was about three years old, so I, I, I never got a, a real grasp on who she was, but my mom always told me she was extremely superstitious, and one of the things she would always, you know, harp is to never put your shoes on any tabletop surface, and I remember 
sometimes I'd come home and I'd, you know, set my shoes on a chair or I'd set my shoes on a, even a counter or something or new shoes just to kind of show and my mom would freak out. And so I think that's kind of ingrained in me. Never put your shoes on any surface that's other than the floor. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I, there's so many things that I, I, I do here and there that are that are superstitious. It's, it's all because of, you know, my mom and my grandmother, just kind of the way they were. And now we're going to finish it off here. And the question is, if you were invisible for a day, what would you do, Brandon? This one's an easy one. Um, if I were invisible, I would go and I don't know, I don't know where it's at. I would go to, I don't know, you know, exactly where these places are at, but I would go to the most top secret places in the United States. So I would go to area 51. I would go to the white house in the president's office. I would go to the deepest, darkest, you know, secretive layers in the country. Um, and I would figure out, you know, the, the conspiracies and all those things that you hear, I would, I would love to kind of be a fly on the wall and and find out what's true, what's not, you know, what I don't know if there's things that are hidden without a doubt. I'm, I'm a big conspiracy geek. Um, I like kind of watching videos and just kind of hearing about that stuff. It fascinates me as, as outrageous as some of them are. It's just kind of something I've always been, um, pretty attracted to. So yeah, without a doubt, I would go to the places that are on top lockdown with the most sensitive information. And I, w- I would go figure out what it is, man. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's not the answer I was expecting, but it's definitely a good one. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us now for Brandon Easterling. I am Craig Forstall until next time, stay safe and be easy. Hey everybody, Craig Forstall. Thanks for tuning in and listening to another episode of That Sports Guys podcast. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at that underscore sports underscore guy to catch all the latest updates and podcast episodes. Until next time, stay safe and be easy.